book of Romans, which is in the New Testament. If you'd like to follow with me, there's black Bibles in the front of the seats and it can be found on page 1130. I'm reading from chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us into shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ministers here at St Matthews, and it is a real delight to be in church on this Good Friday. It'd be great if you could keep um, that passage from Romans chapter 5 open on page 11, what was it, 30, and uh, I'm going to pray for us uh, as you do that, and then we'll get right underway. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Friday, this Good Friday, day on which we remember the day on which the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for us. And we pray as we consider these short words in a, in a few short minutes that you would actually speak powerfully into our hearts and change us that we might know him better and love him more. We pray these things in his beautiful and almighty name. Amen. Uh, students are um, they're sort of well known for staging demonstrations, aren't they? That's sort of a student thing. Uh, I don't know if you know, the first documented student demonstration in the United States is called the Great Butter Rebellion, and it rocked Harvard University in 1766. And the protesters were demonstrating about the quality of food served in the college dining rooms. And the slogan of their demonstration was, Behold, our butter stinketh. Give us therefore butter that stinketh not. Now, I'm not in advertising, but that doesn't seem to me to be the catchiest slogan, does it? Uh, Aussie students don't demonstrate much at all, and so I think the title for creative demonstrations must pass to the fine students of Santiago in Chile. In uh, 2001, they were protesting for fair education standards, so they all dressed up like the zombies from Michael Jackson's famous thriller music video, and they recreated the iconic dance um, in front of the president's palace wearing T-shirts that read, public education is dying. Now, in the very same year, students from the same town demonstrated against the rising costs of education, and hundreds of them gathered en masse outside the city's metropolitan cathedral, and they started kissing. Their placards read, love is free, education isn't. 
and it resulted in the slashing of interest rates on student loans, and I reckon there's a few of you that are wishing you studied in Santiago, right? <laughs> Unusual demonstrations, aren't they? Dance like a zombie, or just kiss, to support fair education. But you know, what we just read from the Bible there, at least at first glance, is an even odder demonstration. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. He gives his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us, which of course is what we're celebrating here today. A pretty odd demonstration. Wouldn't you think that if God loved us, he'd give us something good, something we'd always wanted, maybe more money that would help, uh, perhaps greater success, more friends, better health. Maybe he'd clear up my anxieties. Maybe he'd clear up my skin. Could do with all those things, but no, he sends his son, Jesus, to die. Thanks, you say, but no thanks. I can actually do without that kind of love. If he thinks that's the most important expression of love there is, frankly, he's got issues of his own. Why would God demonstrate his love for us in the death of his son? Demands a good explanation. Well, that good explanation we demand is in those few verses uh, that we just read from Romans chapter 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote them. He's a Middle Eastern kind of a guy, Jesus' official spokesman, and he's writing a letter to a bunch of Italians, a bunch of Roman Christians, and he's never met them to give them that good explanation of why God might send his son, Jesus Christ, to die. So I don't know if you can imagine it, but uh, they're Italians, so perhaps they've finished a big plate of spaghetti because we're just into you know, stereotypes, and uh, like everyone who's finished a plate of spaghetti, they're fussing because they've splattered bits of bolognese sauce over their white shirts, and we always wonder why we're wearing a white shirt when we eat spaghetti, but you always do, and they settle over that, and they start reading this letter out, and when they do, it becomes plain and obvious there is a problem. And actually, the problem is with us, and in fact, there's not just one problem, there's a dual problem. And that double problem is spelt out in those verses. In verse 6, we were powerless. And then in verse 8, we're sinners. So let's look at each of those, but we'll swap them around and we'll first look at the sin problem and then look at the powerless problem. So the first problem is there in verse 8 where it says, we were still sinners. We're sinners. That's the problem. Of course, in our culture, it's unclear what that means. Does it just mean we've done a few kind of bad things in our lives? Maybe we've uh, lied to our parents or our spouses. Maybe we've gossiped about others, uh, cheated on our taxes, tampered with the ball. Uh, too soon. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe we've been less than truthful in that conversation or that deal. I mean, nobody's perfect, are they? But is that really what sin is? It's more or less like a few splattering stains on an otherwise white shirt. Verse 6 tells us that Christ died for the ungodly, and that must give us some clues. Indeed, sin is not so much a matter of doing a few naughty things that might hurt our friends or our parents or spouses or society more broadly. To, to understand the love of God, you actually need to understand that we are in our natural states the opposite of God, ungodly. We're opposed to him. And it's not just in the little things that we do, it's in our whole life, in our whole life, naturally, against God, rejecting his claim on our life, and it's as if we say, it's my life. It sounds like a Bon Jovi song. It's my life. I will do what I want. 
And really that's at the heart of sin. It's our rebellion against God's rightful rule over our lives. And we, we can do that actively or we can do it uh, ignorantly. We can do it as a thoroughly wicked person by society's standards or an entirely decent person by society's standards. And rather than it being just a few red stains on what is otherwise a white shirt, it's like our whole shirt is red. In fact, it's red from as far back as you can remember, perhaps even further back than that. And in the time since, both knowingly and unwittingly, we've just made it redder, the stains deeper and dirtier. And the real problem with that is that God cannot stand sin at all. He can't be next to it, he can't be near it, he can't be friends with anyone who's covered in it. And by comparison, his perfection is punishing. So you can see our problem. We're naturally sinners, which means that God cannot be friends with us but must punish us. Well, that is a problem indeed. But you think, no worries, we're uh, 21st century kind of people. We are problem solvers. We love do-it-yourself kind of things. I'm going to Google the answer. Right? I'm sure there's a hack on YouTube I can look up. I mean, it's closed today, but I can go to Bunnings tomorrow morning and there'll be something there that'll fix it. I just got to ask one of the guys in the green aprons. I reckon we'll be right. But you see, just there, the problem gets even worse because we're powerless to do anything about the sin problem. It tells us that there in verse 6. So to add to our sin problem, you add powerlessness. Well, do you think that's quite a problem indeed, isn't it? Surely there's something we can do. I mean, we can send a man to the moon. We can make a great cup of coffee on occasion. Surely there's something we can do. No. No, there isn't. We're powerless. That's what it means. Uh, powerless to make ourselves clean, powerless to make ourselves right before God. We're powerless to make ourselves friends with God. We can't simply forgive ourselves. So we're powerless to avoid the punishment of God. That's what it means. In uh, my previous job, I used to work with um, high schoolers, young people at a church on the North Shore. And every year we'd host an HSC service just before the big exams to pray for the year 12 students and so on. And I'd often speak from Jesus' words from Matthew 6 where he says, do not worry. But here's the thing. I wasn't really talking to the kids because they were relaxed by that stage. I was talking to the parents. They were terrified. Because I think for the first time in their lives, they were powerless to help their children. I mean, they did everything they could. They sent them to good schools at great personal expense. They organized tutoring. Uh, they would send them to a study camp that we'd organize. I even had parents try to bribe their way onto our study camp when they were full up. I, one parent said to me, if he just paid more, could I sneak his son on? So I raised my eyebrow and said, how much more are you talking? <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Should have though, shouldn't I? They could do all of that sort of stuff, but they couldn't actually sit the test. And that powerlessness terrified them. Now, most people today, perhaps even you, don't see the sin problem and don't see the powerless problem, but those problems are there. And they're ours, and they're real, and we are in trouble because we cannot fix them. And yet, although we have this disastrous double problem, fortunately... God has a solution, and the solution is in the death of his son, Jesus Christ. 
that rather odd demonstration we spoke of earlier and that we're celebrating here today. And the solution comes at just the right time, but it means that the perfect one dies for sinners. The godly dies for the ungodly. You can see from verse 6 that at just the right time, it says Christ died for the ungodly. I don't know if you've ever experienced or escaped a narrow defeat, injury, punishment by something happening at just the right time. I mean, this is the absolute basis of James Bond films, isn't it? Uh, All the time, he's just about to get sawed in half by the circular saw. His plane is just about to fly into a mountain. He's just about to be shot by the villain and something happens at just the right time so he avoids trouble. The beautiful girl rushes in on the scene and turns the saw off. He grabs a parachute and jumps out just before the plane crashes into the mountain. The villain just runs out of ammunition. It all happens at just the right time. Well, we are told that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, why is it just the right time? time well of course because of that that's the time at which we were still ungodly we were still sinners it's when we were powerless to do anything about it as we've already seen there's nothing we could do a sin meant that we were God's enemies and due to be punished and powerless just means that and so his death comes at just the right time because he does something when we could do nothing about our situation Now, that is what Christians call grace. We don't deserve it, cannot earn it, and yet we still receive it by faith. And not only does Jesus' death come at the right time, when we were powerless to do anything for ourselves, his death is even more extraordinary because it means the one man on earth who was not a sinner, the only one on earth who was never at odds with God, the one on earth who was with God because he was God, Jesus, died for sinners. Now, that is love. It's the very definition of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense for undeserving people like us. And if it wasn't true, friends, it would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Well, let me tell you, Paul, the Eastern guy writing to the Roman Christians, he thinks it's amazing. Have a look at verse 7, where he says, Rarely, actually very rarely, will someone die for a righteous person. Isn't that true? It's not often you'd consider taking the fall for an upright member of society. And yet there's always the possibility that someone might die for a good person, you know, for a good mate, for a good friend. I don't think I'm going to die for just an upright member of the community. But I I guess there are a handful of people, good people, my good friends that I might consider dying for. But you know, the amazing thing about Jesus' death is that it was not for the upright. That's kind of rare enough. And it wasn't for his best buddies. That's sort of understandable. No, the amazing thing about Jesus' death is that it was for the ungodly. It was while we were still sinners. It was when the only one with a completely white shirt died so that all of us with dirty red shirts might be made clean. He took the punishment that our sin deserved so that we might be forgiven and escape that very same punishment from God, so that we might be friends with God, not people opposed to God. How odd. Why would anyone do that? Why would a perfect man die for rebels? Why would the only good one die for those opposed to God? Why would Jesus die for you? 
and me? Well, the answer is there in verse 8, isn't it? The answer is because of God's own love for us. The answer is because he loves us. He loves us. He gave us this thing we need the very most, the death of the perfect one for ungodly sinners because he loves us. I don't know if those students in Santiago were right. I mean, public education sure isn't free. But it seems to me that neither is God's love for us. I mean, it cost him dearly, didn't it? When God says he loves us, he doesn't just say it. It's not just a slogan on a t-shirt or a placard. He demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, um, friends, if you were to look through the rest of the passage that was read to us by Kathy, you'd see that taking a step of faith and trusting yourself, your future into God's hands because of Jesus' death that we're commemorating today, well, you do all that and it brings peace with God. You'd see that yourself. Uh, it brings joy and it brings hope that's only strengthened by human suffering. It brings the very presence of God into our lives by his Holy Spirit, whom God pours into our hearts. But you'd have worked out that it requires a step of faith in which you put your belief or your trust in the Lord Jesus. I'm not the smartest guy in the room by a long stretch, but it seems clear to me that we have a choice to make. On the one hand, we could say to God, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, if you are handing out money or better health or less anxiety or any of that, then feel free to drop by but I don't need Jesus to die for me. Keep that to yourself. It's just too odd. Uh, of course, there might be some of you here who, who go, I, you know what, I need to know more. Well, you should find out more. And you should do that starting today. Uh, I invite you to join us here on Sunday morning to hear about Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which truly changes everything. Or you're welcome to join us any Sunday, really. I've got a book here that's called Essential Jesus. It's really just a copy of um, Luke's gospel or biography of Jesus' life. There's a stack of them on the back shelf, and you could uh, sneak one of them on your way out like the cool cats that you are. They're completely free. Grab one of those. Uh, in the bulletins, we've got a course called Soul that just explains the basis of the Christian faith over six weeks. It starts in May. You could do that, but you should if you think you need to find out more. But, you know, I, I just think there's people here today who know enough to know that you need to put your faith in Jesus today. You, you acknowledge not just the sin problem and the powerlessness issue, but also the solution that God provides, the death of his son at just the right time, that stunning demonstration of his love. And look, if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to do that, uh, I'd like to lead you in a short prayer where you can do just that. You can put your trust in him. I'm going to give you a chance to read it in a moment. And then when I pray it, I'm going to pray very slowly so you can pray it in the quietness of your own spirit. Well, what does this prayer look like? Basically, it's one in which we just say, sorry, thank you, please. I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to have a read of that now. And then in, in a few moments, I'll uh, lead us in praying that. Why don't you have a read?
Well, friends, I'm going to suggest that we all prepare ourselves for prayer. And uh, let me say, if you think today is a good Friday, a good day to put your hope and faith and future into God's hands, why don't you pray this prayer with me, but in your heart and mind? Let's pray. Sorry, God, that I'm a sinner. I have been against you, not just in little ways, but in my whole attitude, my whole way of life. Thank you that Jesus died to take the punishment I deserve. when I was both sinful and powerless to help myself. And please help me to follow him all the days of my life. Amen. Friends, we're going to reflect further on the death of Jesus in this next song, which is an item. It's called The Power of the Cross. And then Bruce is going to come up and uh, share with us all some next steps.